So remember, we're dealing with the issue of why Israel rejected the Messiah. I mean, that's kind of the big issue here. We've said that as we've moved through it. We kind of came to the end of chapter 8, and these wonderful promises are given to the church, and you might say that some could be sitting there and say, those promises are wonderful, but why uh, Israel was given wonderful promises, and, and they they haven't believed, and they haven't entered in, and so what does that tell us, and how are we to deal with that? And so there is this kind of central focus on Israel here, but it really is to help you as the church, I think, to see and understand and grasp how the good promises of God work and how he's faithful to his promise and in his promises. And we see that, you know, kind of fleshed out here. When you go to chapter nine and you're thinking about what is taking place, you see the issue is that, that, that Paul wants to address is God's sovereignty and salvation. He wants you to see uh, that God's electing love and mercy uh, is shown by him choosing some and passing over others. That's what he says. So that, at the, at the, at the answering the question, you could say part one is chapter nine. God is, uh, he is sovereign over his choices and how he deals with people. As you get to chapter uh, 10, you see the second part of that, that man is responsible and that's another section there. And so the second part is man is responsible. And uh, when they fail to trust God's word uh, and, and reject him, uh, they, they are responsible for that. They are culpable for that. And so we see God's sovereignty in salvation. We see man's responsibility here as you look at this text. In chapters 11, chapter 11, his answer is... Um, We're asking, have God's promises failed? And he says, well, hold on just a second. I'm a Jew. Have they failed me? Kind of is what he stops and says to you. And then he says, and there's not just me, but others, other Jewish people who have believed, a remnant of people who have believed. Did God's promises fail with them? And so he's showing the fulfillment of the promise in this remnant. And he's already said before that that is the case throughout the history of Israel. And so you see those promises uh, being held upheld. And you, you might say, Jared, all this talk about Israel, what does that mean for me? It just, there's a security here for those who have put their faith in Christ is, is really at the heart of this. Paul wants you to see that God's promises do come to pass and he is faithful to what he has promised. So this morning we're looking at 1014 through 1110, and, and in 10.14, you're going to kind of, Paul's going to address that, uh, of why Israel, you know, hasn't come to faith. Why have they, uh, Israel not, generally speaking, been saved? And then in 11.1 through 5, you're going to see how, uh, but there is a remnant of Israel that is saved, and then 11.6 through 10, you're going to see this hardening of those who are not a part of the remnant. And we'll kind of talk about all that. And you say, again, it's, it's a lot to think about. Some of it you may have to say, I'm going to go back and read that sometime. And I'm going to read it again and read it again. Kind of think on some of those things. But you're just kind of, we're working through that and helping ourselves see and, and, and think clearly about what the Lord is saying to us. So let's look at 1014. Um, and as we start there, you're going to see that one kind of big thrust here is that faith comes by 
hearing. It's a real big thrust in this text, and that's kind of where we will start. Paul is going to ask four questions, and then he's going to answer those four questions in reverse order. Then we're going to kind of sum up some of that. And so we'll look at it together, and and we'll move through it. Now, again, the issue is, why has Israel not been saved? Then he starts, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So you see this kind of, he's moving through this argument and he's kind of helping you think about, again, someone coming to faith and and what is all involved there, uh, if you will. And and so we're going to look at that together. Now go back to verse 13 and, and this is what you see. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he moves through those questions. Now, so when you look at this, you've got to have to ask yourself, did these things happen to Israel? Have have they heard these things? Have have they come to them? Now, um, and if... if they have, then you just kind of say, okay, then what's the problem? And that's kind of where we're going to get. But I just say that because I, I think it's important for us, even in the church sometimes, where you're maybe out in the broader world or people coming to the church, and you think, why, do I, why don't I see people come? And, and, and do we need to change this or change that? Or what do we need to fix? Or how do we need to say this better? Or, you know, there's just a long list of things. Does the church need to become more compelling or uh, more attractive or, or like reduce some barrier or be better at communicating? And certainly we can tweak some things and be better at some things. But the reality is kind of at the heart of this is like there are people all around you hearing the message of the gospel all the time. And you probably are asking like, well, why did this child of this person who's walked to the Lord... What's going on with them? And, and, and what's going on with this person? I know they heard the gospel. They grew up in church. And you have all these things running through your head. Could we have done this better or whatever? And I think really though, we have to get back to the Apostle Paul and say, what, what does he do with that? What does he do with Israel's unbelief? So Paul's answer. Notice what he says. Answering the fourth, fourth question first, then moving up. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now here's the thing. Messengers were commissioned to Israel throughout their history and even right then. The greatest messenger stood before Israel. Sometimes people say, if I could just see Jesus, if I could have just seen the resurrection, if I could have just, and now I have all this stuff that they're saying, if we could have just had this. I mean, even some people I've heard say, like, if I could have been in the time of Moses. And like, don't you understand? There are people all around in all of those times. And, and that did not change the situation. Just being around it. This idea of beautiful feet, I've heard people describe it like what it would kind of connect with a person in the first century would be like if you had victory in war and they would send a messenger running out to see you and when you saw their feet you could read kind of the message that they had by how they ran kind of but 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 the reality is is Israel had messengers commissioned 
verse 16. But they had not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed what he has heard? So they're not only messengers that were commissioned. They were messengers that preached. Right? They preached. You remember somebody like Amos and the prophets. And I always think it's so interesting where he shows up and he begins to preach. And they say to him, take yourself and your message back to your part of Israel. And don't come back here anymore. Verse 18, but I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. So you say, did Israel hear the message? Maybe there was too much noise and the messenger was drowned out. Is is that what happened? No, Israel did hear. Then to the First question, but I ask you, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation with a foolish nation. I will make you angry. What does that mean? Somebody that could not understand things as well. Someone who had not received the things that you had received. Someone who was kind of dull, you might think, in hearing in understanding, limited in their knowledge. Those people are receiving and you are not receiving it. They understood it intellectually. You know how we know they could understand it again is because of the people that were receiving it. The Gentile world was coming to the gospel. And by the way, in Matthew's gospel, he highlights the belief of the Gentile. And he wants you to see that because he wants you to understand as you're moving through that these people who should not be believing are believing. So what is the problem with Israel? But of Israel, he says, verse 21, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Israel is hardened in their sin. And they are rejecting the message. I think it's just important. There's an idea here of even like this moral rebellion. They're just in a state of like they would not listen. When, when, like I said, even Jesus standing before them, the embodiment, God tabernacling among them, they would not. And in their hardness, they continue to be hardened. Then Paul says, okay, now, so what is saving faith? Verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Saving faith is trusting in what Christ has appointed preachers to preach about himself. It is believing in the message of and about Jesus Christ. And Israel failed to do so in their moral rebellion, you might say, their 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 unbelief kind of grows 
Now, then you say, okay, so, were there some of Israel saved? I mean, what is going on here? Why have they not believed? Well, in some sense, they just rejected the message. The message they never heard? No, the message they heard. The message they didn't understand? No, the message they understood. They've just rejected it. Now, but then you kind of say, okay, well, but what about the promises? I mean, are they going to be fulfilled? Have they been fulfilled? Could they be fulfilled? I mean, what is going on in that? Paul says the promises are being fulfilled, or you might say have been, first of all, in me, and secondly, in this remnant that is around me. And the remnant, you might say, throughout the ages who have trusted in the promises of God. Verse 1, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. He says, I am a Jew and I am a Christian. That's what he's saying. Paul was an Israelite descended from Abraham by the flesh, descendant from Benjamin by the flesh. He tells them, Exactly what tribe he's from. And the reason that's important is, is the, the Benjaminites, they were a part of the southern part of Israel. And as a result, he could trace his lineage, which is different than what the northern part was. Paul could actually trace his physical lineage. And he could tell you without a, without a shadow of a doubt, I am a Jew through and through. And I think that's just important for us to see because... There, there would be one of those things where someone would, might say, well, who is your father? And who's your father's father? And who's your father's father's father? And, and who is the, like, 20 generations back? And Paul says, I can show you those things. And so God's promises to Israel have, at least you could say, have been fulfilled in me. He, he received what he called an untimely birth. And God brought him to a place of saving faith. He met him on the road to Damascus and he brought him to himself. He was one of, you could say, as we're looking at this text, those chosen of God and that were brought to saving faith. Paul, if you wanted to even go further, you could say this guy was a rebel in rebellion against God and his promise because he was attacking the very church that Christ was building. I mean, he was everything about him. You say, good night. He is zealously in rebellion against the message of Christ, the person of Christ, the work of Christ. He is attacking that. And God, in his sovereign grace, brings him to himself. And you might even say that it's important to say to us, like if the promise was, was unveiled to him, given to him, like it, it, would it escape someone else? I mean, he's somebody you would think God could have written him off and sent him on, on but God in his 
grace saved him. Now he goes on in verses 2 through 5. There are not, ju- not, not just the Apostle Paul, but many. There were many in Jerusalem believing the gospel. It, it was, you could say generally, Israel rejected the Messiah, but in a very specific way, we see those who are uh, are saved, those who are trusting in Christ, those who ha- have, have received the message in Paul's day and to this very day. Notice what he says. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they killed your prophets. They've killed the messengers. They've rejected the, the message of the messengers. They've demolished your altars. And I alone am left and they seek my life. And he tells him. But what is God's reply? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. So what do we say there? Paul is saying he is not the only one. There is within Israel, this mixed community of believing and unbelieving people, there is within Israel those who, for the most part, are rejecting the Messiah, but within Israel there are those who he has elected, is the language, chosen uh, from among Israel to display his glorious purposes of saving a people for himself. The promise is being fulfilled. We saw that in Romans 9. He brings that back up and he says, listen, the promise to Israel is being fulfilled in the present. Watching this before my very eyes. Just like in the days of Elijah, I am not alone. People are believing, they are receiving They are embracing it. God is faithful to his promises. God will always be faithful to his promises. You can trust that. You can hope in that. And you do not need to worry about that. When I went to Israel a few years ago, in Jerusalem, I don't even remember how it came up. I ended up going to a church service there, led by a Jewish man who was preaching the gospel there. One of the most zealous guys I have ever met in all my life there. And God is still doing a work there. God is still using messengers to preach the gospel to the Jew and the Gentile. He is still raising up a remnant of people. He is still doing His work. And so it's very powerful to see that on display. It's not... Again, when we look at that, and we read this morning, like the true Jew is one who is one of faith, but we have to understand there's still this work that God is doing throughout the whole world. He's bringing His people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, even including Israel. I think today we could see that. God is never going to not bring about His purposes with His people. And He does that with the Jew and with the Gentile. It's very clear. And we're going to look at some stuff further uh, next week, but I just think it's important that we see that. Now, we get to this next section and we see Israel being hardened as a collective group. A broader group of Israel is being hardened. And you see that in this text. So let's look at it. Uh, in, in verse 6, we see that salvation is by grace and not by their works, which Paul's kept 
dealing with that with the Jews, because it's been something that kind of is brought up over and over. Then in verse 7, he emphasizes that the source of their salvation is found in the grace of God. And then we're going to, as you keep moving forward, uh, he's going to help us see that, that the remnant came to saving faith in God. That's how they're saved. And that the grace of God is at the center of all of that. And so we're going to kind of understand that and grasp that and, and we'll move through it together. Now, verse 6. But if it, if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. When you look at this believing remnant and unbelieving multitude, you don't think that the difference is that one has innate goodness and the other one doesn't. When I look at your life, if I was to kind of like flesh it out, and I, I looked at it and said, like, this person came to faith because within them, uh, in and of themselves, there was something special in them. God saw an extra measure of goodness in them. It's not how we see that. What we say is, God in His grace has saved them. God in His eternal purposes has brought saving faith to them. It's, it's very important, I think, for us to see that salvation is by grace and grace alone. It's what Paul is saying. We love him because he first loved us. God is the initiator in this, the grace dispenser. Uh, we don't want to rob God of any of his glory. God is doing his work uh, in our lives and we say it is all of grace. What Jesus accomplished for us is a gracious gift that we receive. It has nothing to do with how wonderful we are. Right? Verse 7. So we must like see that and say, I want to praise Him as a result. Verse 7. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. So th they are, when you're looking at Israel, you're saying they profess to be finding the, or looking for something, and yet... They failed to obtain it. Why? Because we've seen that unbelieving Israel has sought to obtain it in another way other than by grace. It's kind of what they did throughout their history. You'll see them. They've turned it into a false religion, a religion that is based upon, not upon the grace found in the gospel, but found in themselves, a work kind of that they find in themselves. What a dangerous place to be. So what he says is what Israel failed to obtain what then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. Now, as you move forward, in verse, really, at the, in the end of that verse, and then on through verse 10, you'll notice, the elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution for them let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever so how did the people receive it the elect those chosen among israel how did they receive it they received it by faith they trust in the grace that's been given how did they even get that where did that come from we understand that god in his gracious provision has brought those people to saving faith they are the chosen ones those whom he has called he, he he's 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 bringing about like a a faith a trusting in him a hoping in him and so but the rest it says were hardened so some receive mercy 
while others are hardened. That's kind of what this text lays out for us very clearly. They are giving a spirit of stupor. There's kind of this picture going on where these people are hardened like Pharaoh was hardened by God. And at the same time, they harden themselves. And when you look at the New Testament unfold, what you'll see is, you know, of course, that God is working out His plan to save a people for Himself. And you see the, the people that are hardened by God, you might say, they're also very actively a part of that. They're, they're, they are embracing that. They are rejecting Jesus. They're picking up stones to throw at Him. They're screaming together, crucify Him. That's just reality. So you're not, it's almost like some people might say to you sometimes, well, I don't, if God shows mercy to whom He wills and He judges whom He wills, that doesn't seem right to me. And we've talked about all that. But we come back to this again and we say, listen, nobody, I mean, when, when Pharaoh is sitting there and, and God says, let my people go, he's not, he, in his mind, in his rebellion, it's all his. He's doing what he wants to do. And even though you, we would kind of look back over this and say, we know that God is in the process of like showing mercy to some and hardening others. The reality is those who have been shown mercy, they look back and they say, God, you did this in my life. You've shown it. I'm, I'm so thankful. But when those who've been hardened are there, they're sitting there saying in their rebellion, they hate God. They're rejecting God. They're living their own way. They're pursuing their own way. And so in this text, I think we certainly see that God is, at this moment, it, it, it's, as Paul is writing this, he's saying, look, these people, these people that are here, God is, is hardening them. While at the same time, like I said, I think it's just important to note, these people are, are actively turning away, actively seeking their own way. So what do we say about that? We cannot say to people, Listen, if you want to come to God your way, you come your way. I come to God my way, and all is well. We cannot say that. We say to people everywhere, listen, there is one way to God. It is by get grace, through faith, in Christ, and that is our only hope. That is what we have. That is what we can hold on to. And what we know, and this is just for me, when I'm thinking about the gospel and presenting the gospel and laying out the gospel, this is what I, in my mind I know. I understand that God in His sovereign grace has chosen to save a people for Himself. That God will bring that to pass. He is going to bring those people to Himself. I know that without a shadow of a doubt. I know that I get to participate in that by proclaiming the message. And when I go out and take the message, I know that there's going to be fruit from that message because I know that God is either using that message in the further hardening of someone or in the softening of them and them receiving that message. I just know that when I move forward. I know that God's promises will not fail, that He will save a people for Himself. I know that He is saving people, both Jew and Gentile, and I know that those who are saved are saved by the sovereign grace of God, and they respond here and now by faith. They trust in Him. They hope in Him. They put their faith in Him. And so, when we look at this text and we're thinking about it, we have to say, listen, if someone is ever going to be saved, God has to do it. 
And he will do so in such a way where they will respond, not by bristling up and rejecting, but accepting. And so you and I go out, we go out in faith, trusting that God's going to do his work. What I want to, before we conclude today, just throw on you, just kind of think about. In Matthew 13, the disciples had been sent out to proclaim the message. And then they came back and they talked to Jesus about it. And then you begin to see a rejection in chapters 11 and 12. When you get to 13, Jesus begins to speak in parables. And he says to the disciples, To you it has been given to understand the secrets of the kingdom. It's a gracious act. God opened their heart, let them see and understand and grasp and, and, and treasure what he said. But to them, those people outside that are rejecting, they will hear but never understand, and they will see but never perceive. And it's almost like what you see going on is in God's hardening of them and in their hardening of themselves, you see that on display in the here and now. So if you've been given eyes to see, it's a gracious act. Understand that treasure, that love, that and, and, and know that God is going to bring people, again, from every tribe and tongue and nation. And that you and I get the opportunity to go out and proclaim that message knowing that we will have success in what we pursue because God is doing it and so I hope today that helps you we're going to look even further with Israel next week and kind of think through all that Um, but that hopefully that will help you as you move forward and um, you will be blessed as you think about God's promises being fulfilled let's pray father we thank you for your word we ask that you would help us understand with greater clarity That your promises never fail. That you save. That you deliver. That you proclaim your message. That people receive it by the power of the Spirit. We're so thankful for that. Lord, we know that within this world there are those that are hardened. And we pray that you would help us see, as you will next week, that in their hardening, the gospel goes throughout the world. And we ask, Lord, that you would just empower us to not, as we thought about this morning and our struggle with sometimes being bold, that we would be as Paul was in Romans 1, that we would be eager that we would be not ashamed, that we would proclaim with clarity and conviction, and then we would hope in you who brings about the transforming work in the hearts of people. In Christ's name, amen.